Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a Galactic Football League novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies! Wow. Can you believe we are already one month into the Stone Wolves? This is episode number four, one whole month. My gosh, how time flies. Most of you have your hardcover copies of The Gangster by now, at least in the United States, but not everyone has them. We are still dealing with shipping issues every single day from the post office. The COVID has mucked up the works so much. A is working to try and get the Australia and New Zealand books returned to us so we can use another shipper to send them out. So if you're in Australia or New Zealand, you probably do not have your books yet. There were big changes at the post office that hit right after we shipped most of the books, and those changes caused problems in mid-shipment, which is extremely annoying. So if you have any questions or haven't received your book, no matter where in the world you are, the absolute best way to get things sorted is to email a at info at emptyset.com. As for the GFL Galaxy Maps that were included with the purchase price of the Gangster Hardcover pre-order, the Galaxy Maps, of course, are shipping separate. They are actively being shipped now. Most should be sent by the end of October. However, we are waiting to send any to Australia and New Zealand until we know more about those crazy shipping issues to those countries. We don't want to send them out only to have them come back to us and have to send them out again, all beat up or whatever. So just hang tight. We will find you. We will find a way to get them to you one way or another. We just don't know what that is yet. That's it for the housekeeping. Let's get caught up on the story so far, and then we're all going to go chug a pint of Gibble Juwants. Previously on The Stone Wolves. Killian and company tried to finish the job of delivering a case they hauled across the galaxy, only to find that delivery was a setup. Who was responsible for it? Someone Killian thought long since dead. He flew out into the desert to meet her, to meet the bitch who knows everything. You're supposed to be dead, Killian said, gazing at his former lover across the campfire. I placed a bullet on your headstone. Fanaka nodded. An orphan of bullet. You still have that ridiculous gun and that amazing void cloak? Of course not. Liar, Fanaka said. Like you would ever part with those. Firelight flickered on the silver orb that filled her right eye socket. She'd lost the eye when a mission had gone wrong. He'd been there, after, at the safe house on Chichana, listened to her seemingly endless screams as the orb's biolink tendrils bonded to her optic nerve. You didn't just place the bullet, she said. You said a prayer. It was nice. How did you know that? She had set up surveillance at her own grave. He shouldn't have been surprised. You're the one that gave me the nickname, Fanaka said. Don't tell me you forgot. The bitch who knows everything. He had given her that nickname. 
it had stuck, and with good reason. Fanaka had ways upon ways of gathering intel. She rarely shared her methods, preferring to keep her cards close to her vest, with a hand that was usually akin to a royal flush. Observing your own fate grave is a little much, Killian said, even for you. It's always good to know who your true friends are, and to learn who wants to piss on your grave. Literally. Killian grunted. Someone did that? Considering all the sentients we swindled, abandoned, and killed back in the day, are you surprised? He considered, shook his head. I'm still with the guild, killer, Fanaka said. He flinched at the old call sign. It always was your one true love, he said. You chose it over me. Something in his words made her good eye wince. She recovered quickly. She always had. As if no time had passed between them whatsoever, he knew she was going to change the subject. I had to fake my death because the heat was on, she said. The Vermada traitors were this close to finding out my real identity. Her real identity? Thirty-four years since he'd seen her. A lifetime. What is your real identity these days? Fanaka smirked, but it was an affectation. She knew him better than anyone, and he knew her in kind. Maybe you'll find out, she said. They got close, which tells you how deep they are in the ZG. But what am I saying? It's not like you don't know all about running from the Vermada or the past. You're just as dead as I am, killer. She eyed him. He felt her gaze race over him, cataloging his appearance, sorting it all into some kind of gestalt. For someone who is running from everything, she said, I figure you would have cut the dreads, kind of your signature look and all. He'd thought about doing that a thousand times, but there were some bits of his past he couldn't let go. Millions and millions of men and women with dreadlocks out there, Hopscotch. Millions and millions that don't have your track record, she said. He nodded. That's true. We don't exactly draw attention to ourselves. And besides, that track record is decades in the past. The galaxy has moved on. I've moved on. So should you. Her eyes narrowed. How do you do it, killer? Do what? The aging thing. We haven't seen each other in decades, and I look it. But you don't. Killian laughed. You just said I look like shit. She tilted her head slightly, studied him. You do. You're flabby. You've lost so much muscle I can barely believe it. Looks like you haven't slept in a month, too. And your posture is garbage. You're too kind. But that's superficial stuff, Fanaka said. You could fix that in a few months, if you wanted to. What I don't get is your face, your eyes. Honestly, killer, when I ignore that you've let yourself go, it looks like you haven't aged a day. She smiled. Which 
is no surprise, right? Panaka was one of the few people in the galaxy who knew how old he really was. The fountain of youth, she said. You ever going to tell me about that? His time aboard the Keeling. No, you know I won't. A log within the campfire popped. Embers shot up from the flames, swirled in the air, and were carried off. You got what you wanted, Killian said. I'm here. I was desperate enough to take the job, like you knew I would be. I took that third of the pay up front, like you knew I would. Did you think I'd kill that kid, and the case would just open when I splattered him all over the place? She shrugged. Once you were on Wilson 4, I knew I'd see you, one way or another. Panaka had ignored his question. That was just like her. She didn't give out information unless absolutely necessary, or unless doing so served her larger objective. You thought I'd kill him, Killian said. Well, I got news for you. I don't do that anymore. She smiled, shook her head, looked off into the darkness. A Grendelin can't ungrow its fangs, killer. So why this ridiculous run? If you knew how to reach me, why didn't you just reach me? Her silver eye glittered. A certain person out there wants me dead. Have you forgotten? Thorn. He's alive. She nodded. And as friendly as ever. Did she blame Killian for Thorn still being a threat? Killian closed his eyes, rubbed at his face. He would not think about that now. Not any of it. Not now. I had to get you somewhere I could actually meet you face to face, Fanaka said. Heck, killer, if I made a comms call, you might ignore it. A laser slice of guilt, cutting through him. Ignore it. Did she know about recoil? No, she couldn't know about that. Fanaka had been alive all these years. She should have told him. He didn't need these memories, these emotions. He needed to go back into the void. He had a perfectly good hole to crawl into to hide from all of this. Enough with the happy reunion, he said. I have a ship and a crew to worry about. If you have something to ask, ask it. Then give me my shucking money. Fanaka raised a hand, extended a finger upward like a professor. One moment her expression said. She let out a whistle, three notes high, two notes low. From atop her ship, a spidery shape descended. A dented metal sphere about the size of a volleyball, it walked on four long, thin, three-segmented legs. The last segment was split into two equal lengths that ended in small hooks, giving the four-legged machine eight feet. High one, Killian said. You still have peaches? I don't leave home without her. To this day, despite all his travels, he'd never seen the machines like. In a galaxy filled with drones, watchbots, robotic dogs, and, yes, with Schmecks, Fanaka's pet was a phenomenal and adaptable little intelligence-gathering machine. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Killian shook his head. You set up this meat. You saw me come in alone. You knew I thought you were dead. And now you think I'm here to hurt you? An ounce of prevention, my dear. Peaches scurried away, turned, started scampering in a wide circle. Killian knew it was scanning the area, mapping the surroundings into its memory buffer. It was checking for transmission signals, for weapons, for a hundred other things. You finally going to tell me where you got Peaches? Sure, Fanaka said. Right after you tell me why you haven't aged. Killian huffed a laugh. It surprised him. He didn't laugh that often. High one, but he needed a drink. He should have grabbed a bottle from the careless whisper before he'd left. The robot scuttled toward Killian. A blue light flickered from a tiny spot in its scratched, dented shell. It chirped a stream of guttural syllables that sounded like key, but if so, it was a dialect Killian had never encountered before. You're not carrying a gun. Fanaka said, surprised. No blade. Not even a communicator? Why bother? I knew it was you. I'm not the only thing out here, killer. You know what people used to say. The night is dark and full of terrors. The night was full of her. Get on with it, Fanaka, and stop calling me that name. I could call you Chick McGee, and it wouldn't make us need you any less, she said. Come home, Killian. Come back to the guild. Hell, bring your new crew. They seem pretty good in a scrap. Help us save us from ourselves. He heard himself reply before his mind even seemed to form the words. And that wasn't good. Not good at all, because that wasn't like him anymore. These days, he considered before he spoke. He was deliberate in thought and deed. He was disciplined. Instant reactions were supposed to be a thousand miles in the rearview mirror, thanks, in part, to the Nasdor. And yet, here was his old self, reactive, emotional, 
angry, scratching from behind the basement door, hungry to come up and out and play. You seriously brought me here for that? Shuck you, Hopscotch. We delivered the case. Give me our money. Fanaka eyed him over the campfire flames. Gods only knew what that silver eye was seeing. Perhaps the adrenaline pumping in his veins, or his amygdala's neurons blazing red-hot with rage, or something else altogether. Her cool smile never faded. Why did you leave us, Killian? He sighed, exasperated. Just pay me so I can leave in peace. Oh, we'll get to debts in good time. Why did you leave? Killian gritted his teeth. You know why. Because some traitor with delusions of grandeur cut out my eye? Killian, come on. I'm tougher than that. So are you. Or at least you were. Killian closed his eyes, and it was 37 years ago. He was killing turncoat Vermada goons on Laramie 3 to find and retrieve Fanaka. The headquarters' secure basement had stopped him, but only for a while. Eventually, the key gunship had come to extract Thorn and his captive. When it landed, Killian had attacked it, killed the crew, then hacked one of its air-to-surface rockets to destroy the thickly armored basement door. Through the haze, he'd seen her, his best friend, the prize that traitorous worm Thorn had planned to deliver to whoever was behind the Vermada. Hopscotch had been handcuffed to a steel chair. She'd been unconscious, her face a swollen wreck, gore sputtering from a hole where her eye should have been. No, that hadn't been why he'd left. It was what had happened after that. The things he had done. The things he'd do if he joined up again. Fanaka squinted at him, as if reading his mind. It was war, Killian. Terrible things happened. The war is still going. Terrible things are still happening. You can help me stop it. She'd never stopped believing. Amazing. When I was in the nation, I killed who the nation told me to kill. Killian said. When I was in the Union Navy for two years, I killed who the Union told me to kill. When I was in the Guild, I killed who you told me to kill. If I was dumb enough to wade into your shadow war again, I'll wind up killing who the shucking Vermada want me to kill. Fanaka shook her head. There are plenty of us still inside, she said. People from the old days. We're loyal to the mission. Destabilize the Kretorakian regime. Eliminate the collaborators. Destroy the bats. Get them the hell out of our space. We're not running from our past, killer. Not like you. We're still fighting for our freedom. Killian laughed. It was a ragged, unpleasant sound. Let me tell you a story, he said. You ever heard of the Emerald Stingfly? Oh, for Christ's sake. Is this a science lesson or a folksy metaphor? 
Hell, knowing you, it's both. She was right. He didn't let that stop him. An emerald stingfly is a McCovey bug. I'll take your word for it. Here's how they breed, Killian said. The female of the species comes across a dredge, uh, the McCovey equivalent of a cockroach, and stings it twice, in two precise spots on its body. The first paralyzes the dredge. The second one literally goes into its brain. It shuts off the dredge's escape reflex. Sounds like a badass bitch. Well, that's just the first step. The stingfly isn't done. She grabs the dredge's antenna and tugs it. The brain-damaged dredge follows, like a zombie on a leash. She takes him to her burrow and lays an egg on him. Now remember, the dredge has absolutely no desire to escape. He's perfectly happy, sitting in the dark, with a time bomb strapped to his abdomen. <sighs> I know where this is going, Fanaka said. Sure you do. Because eventually, out of the egg pops a larva, and it gnaws its way into the dredge's guts and spends the next week or so gobbling up his insides. But the larva does that in a way so the dredge is alive for as long as possible. The dredge knows it as much as a bug can know anything, I guess, but it doesn't care. Eventually, the larva makes a cocoon inside the dredge. Not long after that, you've got a full-grown stingfly bursting out the dredge corpse. Ta-da! Fanaka rolled her eyes. The metal one reflected the firelight. Yeah, I get it. The Zoroastrian guild is the dredge. The Vermada is the stingfly. Killian shook his head. The Vermada isn't the stingfly. God only knows what the stingfly is. The Vermada is the egg, the larva, the thing that's eating up the guild from the inside. It's been chewing away for 40-odd years, Fanaka. You can't beat it. The guild is a zombie now. Its brain has been skewered by something unholy, something superior. Hells if I know what it is. Hells if I care. But I sincerely doubt there's enough of the faithful still left to make a difference. You're a coward, Killian. Come back and help us. A coward? He was a lot of things, but that wasn't one of them. He'd single-handedly saved this woman's life and had taken three rounds and a knife slash in the process. How quickly they forget. But no, quickly didn't apply to this. He'd saved her long ago. Then he'd opted out of the fight. She had battled on while he stayed on the sidelines. You're a fool, Killian said. The bats control everything. There's no changing that. Get out while you can. Go find some happiness. They stared at each other in silence for a long moment. The fire blazed between them. I was happy when I was with you, Fanaka said. He winced. Fanaka moved a burning stick closer to the center of the campfire. When you quit the guild, when you left me, she said, it did more damage than Thorn ever could. Memories of her strapped to that chair, of her missing eye, of the bloody mess Thorn had made of her. She thought Killian leaving her was worse than that. The thought 
gutted him, filled him with guilt. As if any of that mattered compared to what he'd done during her rescue. I couldn't stay, he said. Not after. It was war. What I did wasn't war. It was a crime. A shimmer in her eye. The good one. Wetness, reflecting the firelight. It was a crime to rescue me? Did she know the things he'd done that day? Probably not. She hadn't known much of anything, not after what Thorne had done to her. But Killian knew. No matter how much he drank, no matter how many drugs he took, he knew and he would never forget. You're alive, he said. That should be enough. She blinked rapidly. That excess wetness went away. Fanaka, putting her thoughts in order. You've lost your purpose, she said. You're not the same. He nodded. So you finally understand. You can get that purpose back. I know you. I know what's inside of you. And look at you. You're a wreck. Without the guild, Killian, you have no life. Not really. She was wrong. He did have a life. Was it as thrilling as it had been in the glory days? No. Not even close. But that didn't matter. Whether his body aged or not, people just got old. Once upon a time, he'd fought for governments. He'd fought for his people. He'd fought for all people. Now, when he did fight, it was for his crew. Only his crew. That was enough. And then there was the far deeper reason. The real reason. The one that scared him so bad, he tried to block it out just in case someone had developed real telepathy. If he ever got back in, if people knew he was in the business again, they might connect him to his son. His son, his only living son, deserved a life free of the dangers brought by the actions of a misguided father. His son, who probably didn't know Killian even existed. I'm good where I am, Killian said. I'm tired of Hell, hopscotch, I'm just tired. Give me the rest of my money so I can go get some sleep. She stared at him, not with the analytical measuring look she'd had before, but this time with raw, undeniable emotion. Pure reaction, without conscious thought. She stared at him with disgust. You poor, delusional bastard, Fanaka said. I don't owe you. You owe us. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram where he is at Scott Sigler and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler. Engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.